Kia ora, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa New Zealand. Episode 57, Patu Patu, Part Rua. This podcast is supported by our amazing patrons, such as Kathy. If you want to support Hans, go to patreon.com slash history Aotearoa. A few days after their confrontation, the three brothers manned their canoes and paddled out onto the lake. The canoes were loaded with cooked food, and the paddle songs of their leaders floated across the water to where Hatupatu stood with his father. For some days, the boy had been learning by heart the tattoo markings of Raumati, their target. When the waka were out of sight, Hatupatu tucked 30 red feather cloaks into his waistband. He did not take any food, but holding his taiaha and other weapons in his hand, he dived into the lake and swam underwater. Now and again, he came to the surface like a porpoise in the ocean of Kiwa, to take a breath of air. Halfway across, he took a deep breath and dived to the bottom of the lake, coming to the surface with a handful of mussels, which he ate. In this way, he stayed his hunger. Soon, he could see the waka ahead of him, going through the narrow opening between Rotorua and Rotowiti. When the waka came to land, there was Hatupatu standing on the shore with his feather cloaks hung on the trees to dry. How did you get here? his brothers shouted as they sprang ashore. Where is your waka? Never mind that, said Hatupatu. I am here, and now I will go with you. The waka were left behind, and they marched across to Makatu. There, they assembled on the beach, a thousand strong. Hanui lined them up and divided them between himself and his two brothers, Haroa and Karika, but none were given to Hatupatu. Where are my men? he asked. I have proved myself a warrior, and it is right that I should lead a towa. They laughed at him. While you are with us, you're our little brother again, they said. No one asked you to come. Eating is the only thing you can do. Go and hide behind the towers. This is war, brother, and your stomach, distended with much eating, might be weak. Hatupatu had expected that his brothers would refuse his request, so without further argument, he went away by himself, taking his thirty cloaks with him. After a little search, he found a glade where he could sleep undisturbed. He woke up early the next morning, and even in the half-light, he saw at once that the place he had chosen was ideal for his purpose. Dotted about the slopes were clumps of fern and tussock and creeping plants. Working quickly, he tied the bushes with flax and dressed them with the feather cloaks, until at a little distance they looked like a band of warriors crouching for the attack. The sun was now creeping over the hills. Hatupatu looked around him. Far away, he could see the converging lines as the enemy iwi gathered together from their pa. A scout had brought them word of the invasion of their rohe, and the rangatira were advancing to the attack. Closer at hand, his brothers were marching up and down in front of their men. Their voices came to him clearly in the still ear. When they had finished, Hatupatu sprang to his feet and began to encourage his tussock and bushy warriors. His brother's toa turned to look at him. His long hair was tied in four knots, in each of which was a bunch of feathers. A murmur of admiration ran through their ranks, for Hatupatu was a toa's toa. 
tall and straight, with a quickness on his feet and a length of reach which would stand him in good stead in any fight. When he had finished, Patupatu ran behind the bushes and unloosened three of his head knots, leaving one over his forehead. He threw a red feather cloak around him, and stepping out again, he addressed his mock troops. To the warriors on the shore, it appeared that another rangatira was exhorting the little band. He sat down, and presently stood up in another place, wearing a flax cloak with his hair hanging loose. Many times did Hatupatu sit down, and many times he rose. Each time he was dressed differently. His cloaks were of kuri, huru, and harakeke, and in his hand he waved mere and patupatu and taiaha. At length he stood up naked, ready for the fight, with his white bone patu quivering in his hand. Blah! breathed his brother's warriors, and blah! said men of Romati who had drawn close. They were brave men, eager for the fray, but they avoided the tiny band of warriors with the many powerful rangatira. They ran swiftly towards Hanui's men, and as they drew near, they threw their light Manuka spears until the air seemed full of flying weapons. Romati's men pressed home their advantage. Hanui's line of warriors wavered and broke, and the men of Romati were amongst them like a breaking wave on the sand. Hanui's men were close behind, and the defence stiffened. A double row of warriors awaited the assault, but again Romati and his men swept through them and onto the third line, which was led by Karika. Here, the brothers of Hatupatu made their last stand. The line held. Karika plunged into the thickest of the fight, and his men began to edge forward so that Romati's warriors felt the pressure against them. They began to give way. Then, Romati's voice was heard calling on them for further effort. They were seasoned warriors, and the response was instant. Once more, they surged forward, right through Karika's towers, who broke and fled for their lives towards the shelter of the forest. As they pursued the retreating forces of Makoya, Romati and his men heard a loud voice chanting a war song. They turned around and saw far away the small towa near the bush, with its leader standing in front, waving his mere. Turn on them again! Turn on them again! came the strong voice of Hatupatu. Romati called his men, who made their way cautiously towards the forces of the many rangatira. For a while they were lost to sight, for the ground rose and fell. Before they reached the crests of the last rise, the bushes were brushed aside, and Hatupatu stood in front of them. He had flung off his cloak, his hair was unadorned, and in his right hand he held his mere. A rangatira sprang forward from the advancing towa and struck a blow which would have ended the fight at once, had his weapon reached its mark, but Hatupatu deflected it with his mere. He closed on the rangatira, and in the time that is taken in drawing a deep breath, Romati's man lay lifeless on the ground. Panic seized the warriors, for the chief had been a fighter of some renown. They turned round and fled down the slope. Patupatu filled his lungs, and his song of triumph rose above the clamour of the retreating Toa. Lurking in the distant forest, his brothers heard the jubilant cry. Peering through the undergrowth, they saw Romati's warriors streaming towards them. They called their men together hastily and fell upon the rout, while Hatupatu ran to and fro seeking a chief who bore the tattoo marks he had learned from his father. In Makoya, 
The old men, women and children crowded to the water's edge to see the returning warriors. The chant of victory swelled across the lake as the rowers sent the waka surging over the water to run halfway up the shelving beach. The old man, the father of Hatupatu, stood erect on the beach facing his sons. You have conquered, my children, he said as the song ended. We have conquered, Hanui replied. The enemy has perished. This is the great deed of your sons, of Hanui, of Haroa, of Karika, that will be sung by our children in days to come. Hanui stood on the waka. Romati has fallen by my hand, he said, holding up the head of a warrior. But see, Haroa is holding up another head, and Karika yet a third. This is Romati, Hanui said fiercely. He led his people. With my own hand, I killed him. No, this is Romati, shouted Haroa. You, my father, will judge. From Karika has come the vengeance that was spent on Romati, said the third son. Their father turned from one to another, and then bent his head and looked at the ground. Oh, where, he said. Oh, where, you could not tell. Romati has escaped. Then Hatupatu stood up. He had been seated in the midst of the warriors where he could not be seen. He brought his hand from under his cloak and held up a tattooed head. Truly, you shall be the judge, my father, he said softly, but everyone heard his voice in the silence that had fallen. Is this the head of your enemy? His father lifted his eyes. Light came back to them. Yes, he said. Yes, that is Romati. Now is our triumph. It is Hatupatu, my youngest, who has avenged the insult to our people. It is Hatupatu who will be honoured. The firelight danced on the people as they gave themselves up to rejoicing that night. And of all who were there, Hatupatu, bravest and strongest, was the honoured chief. But in the darkness of their lonely fares, the songs and laughter were bitterness to Hanui, Haroo and Kanika. If you want to send me feedback, ask a question, suggest a topic, or just have a chinwag, you can find my email and social media on historyaotearoa.com. Aotearoa spelt A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A. This podcast is a one-man band. If you enjoy listening to me talk history, you can support us through Patreon, buy merch, or give us a review. It means a lot and helps spread the story of Aotearoa New Zealand. As always, Hari Tu Atu, Oki Tu Mai. See you next time. <laughs>